We're going to continue with our discussion on the core, um, the core being those unchangeable parts of the church, regardless of how things change throughout culture and society, that there are parts in church that just cannot change. They're the core. They're the DNA of the church. If we lose our DNA, we lose who we are, really, isn't it? So what are the core things that make up the fabric of the church? And last week, we looked at developing a discipleship culture, being disciples who are not just following Jesus from the hilltops and therefore not really having to commit, but rather being fully devoted disciples of Jesus, walking the road with Jesus. And so today we want to look at what discipleship, what a discipleship culture should actually outpour. A discipleship culture should actually outpour a heart of worship. A church of devoted disciples should be a church who in action and in word see the wonder of God and give glory to God because of it. A church that never loses their wonder, never loses the wonder of God. And the two key passages that are, are worth memorizing um, as we think about these is the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. Words of Jesus that, that set us up to understand the core of the church. And this morning, we're going to focus in on love the Lord your God. As people who love God with all your heart, how does that outpour? How does that outwork itself? to be people who give God the glory in every part of our lives. Not just on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening, but in every part of our lives. Before I look into the scripture, I'm going to invite Daniel Gibbs to share about an experience that he had uh, with some worshippers in, in Japan. He's going to share a little bit about how they could give all the glory to God throughout their history. So uh, thanks, Daniel. Sharing the company of you all on Sundays for about the last 18 months with my wife and three kids. Um, and if we can go to that first slide. As part of a um, university-funded um, junket to Japan last year um, that did also actually involve some attendance at a conference, um, I was able to visit a small town called Kesanuma, which, if you have a look at this map of Japan... Um, there's a big red donut up in the north, and that's where Kesanuma is. And Kesanuma um, is a small seaside fishing village. Um, and if you flick to the next slide, um, what you can see here, this is the township of Kesanuma. It's a bit hard to see some of the sort of geographical um, facts about the place in this map. But if you have a look at where the red donuts reappeared up there, I want you to keep that in mind, because the next slide will tell a bit of that story, but Kesanuma was unfortunately one of the towns that was basically devastated by the 2011 um, Tohoku earthquake and tsunami, and those purple areas were areas in the town that were basically flattened, um, and the only things that were left were the concrete foundations of buildings and some pathways or roads um, intermittently. And so the place was, um, yeah, pretty well, pretty well devastated um, in a lot of ways, in many ways, actually. 
And so if you click to the next slide, remember that donut. Um, the next one. So that donut represents where that ship in the top left corner was found. And that was about five to 600 metres or a kilometre inland from the ocean. And that picture there indicates the extent of the devastation and the damage that happened to most of Kesanuma. And once, when I was there with a colleague from Deakin University, I teach in the architecture course down there um, during some semesters, and we'd just ridden our bicycles through areas that would have looked like this the day of the earthquake, and we couldn't help but think that had we been here on that day, we would have been in the mix with all this absolute horror. And then if we flick back to the next, the previous slide. Um, and so as part of our trip, we'd just ridden through all of that area that would have been devastated like that. And we were able to attend the Wednesday morning prayer meeting of the First Bible Baptist Church, Kesanuma. Um, and this guy sitting in the centre with his thumb up is the pastor of the church and you just you could not wipe the smile off his face and that church that we were in was a rebuilt church because the first church that they'd built was basically um, part of that devastation that you saw in that photograph it was completely decimated and yet on this very normal Wednesday morning there's sun streaming in the window we've just poured a cup of tea we've we've sung a first hymn um, We've just gone around, everyone has prayed except for me because I don't speak Japanese. Um, and this, this elderly lady on the bottom right, just in front of where I'm standing, she was from Kesanuma and she'd been a Christian for a year. And so she would have lived through all of that devastation um, and yet still in the midst of that had chosen to give her life to Christ. And so we'd sat down, we'd sung hymns, we'd prayed... And then there's this little machine on the left, which is basically a preloaded machine of backing music for hymns. And so towards the end of the prayer meeting, the pastor just started to flick through some of the songs. And he, um, he got to... Ooh, he got... I thought I was going to be all right. He got to the last hymn and then he started playing the music and this guy, who, whose church was flattened and he had no time to grab any of his belongings and get out of there, and yet can still sit there with a huge smile on his face the whole time with his thumbs up, put this hymn on, and then in Japanese they started to sing, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living, just because he lives. Thanks, Daniel. Pretty amazing to hear, isn't it? That we, maybe we don't have that sense of having lost everything. Although there's some people that may be close to others that have been in the fires but to still be able to sing, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. 
I wonder when the last time in our setting, even as you walk out the door, whether you look around our space, we're here in a beautiful space, and go, aren't we blessed with what we have? I wonder when the last time you stopped and sought the glory of God in creation. I remember a time when I was, uh, Solari and I were in Scotland, and we were driving through these hills of Scotland, and it was absolutely beautiful, and it's the most beautiful countryside I've ever seen. Um, It was at a time where the the hill, is it lavender, the purple flowers were just flowing down the hills. It was quite wet, so there was streams flowing everywhere. It was just absolutely beautiful. And we were traveling through this, this hill, and it was quite windy, a thin road. It was, it, was, it was wonderful. But we got to the top of this hill, and then it looked over this lake, and it was just like a picture that you could not capture in any photo. We almost didn't take a photo because we said, well, there's no point. Because we'll look at that and go, well, that's not it. Because it was just a picture of the glory of God. It was unbelievable. And our eyes were taken off self and straight to God. I used to be a surveyor, and so I used to survey out in Yay and Alexandra. And so many times when uh, the other guy that I was with would take his um, uh, staff and he'd go and walk around, I'd just be sat up on a hill just waiting for him, walk a couple of kilometres, and as you do, I'd watch the eagles just soar around. I'd watch the baby lambs just unaware that the eagles are soaring around. And I, I'd, <laughs> I'd watch, I'd watch um, just the hills, rolling hills. I'd watch the sun come down. Just, and I was just aware of the glory of God. And I think sometimes we can lose that a little bit, can't we? We can get engrossed in our time, in our busyness in the good actions of life that perhaps we miss out on the wonder of God. There's been times in worship services where I've not been physically able to sing because I've been lost, almost like Daniel was just then, just lost in that sense of wonder of God. And I'm sure you've got times where your breath was taken away by God's amazing love. I wonder if we stop long enough to do that though. I wonder in our busyness whether we stop long enough to remember God's goodness. I wonder if we stop long enough on a daily basis whether we can see that goodness again. So this morning we're going to focus our eyes towards God that we might find the joy of giving our God the glory for the wonders that are around us. Because that's worship. You see, worship in church is something that we sometimes narrow down to what we do through the singing. And we can confine it to music. Because at the heart, we can't do that. Because worship actually is a response to the goodness of God in and through our lives and in and through the world that we live. When we're attuned to God's spirit and God's ever-present work in the world, our natural response is to love God and bring God glory. And that's worship. 
If we're asked the question, and I'm sure you've either been asked this question or you've asked the question yourself, if we're asked the question, why was I born? What am I here for? It's a natural question to ask. What is my purpose? Well, as people who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, the basic answer to why did God create you is that he created you to worship. He created you to bring God glory. God, did God actually need to create us? Did he need to make humans? He had this beautiful relationship of the Trinity already happening, a sacred bond between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did God need us? And if we look into history, we know that we turned our back on God. But God did create us for his own glory. So we look at creation, we look at the mountains, we look at streams, we look at those obscure organisms at the bottom of the sea. They're all made for the glory of God. And likewise, you and I were created for the glory of God, to bring glory to God. We have a friend who is a midwife, and I remember her saying to us, uh, she'd been a midwife for a little while, I remember her saying to us, that every time she delivered a baby, she'd shed a tear. <laughs> You'd think after a little while that might just wear out. <laughs> Another baby. Okay. But every time she'd shed a tear. By your very birth, you have given glory to God or brought glory to God. <laughs> In Tim Challey's book, Do More Better, this is a quote that's on the screen now. He brings an argument that we are more productive in our everyday lives when we remember who we are and why we were created. And when we realize that we were created to bring glory to God, we're going to work in such a way that we do just that. In his book, he says, God created you so he could receive glory from you and receive glory through you. You're not the point of your own life. You are not the star of your show. If you live for yourself, your own comfort, your own glory, your very own fame, you'll miss out on your, very, on your very purpose. God created you to bring him glory. I love that. God created you to bring him glory. Isn't that a wonderful way of thinking about what our life is about? So if God created you to bring him glory, what does that mean as you step out of church this afternoon and go into your world? What does it mean as you step into your school tomorrow? What does it mean as you go off to university next month, whenever you go back to university? What does it mean for your workplace? What does it mean when you have dinner with your family who don't know Jesus? What does it mean to give glory to God in the every day of your life? Does it mean we need to be kneeling or prostrate before God to make it happen? Does it mean we have to do worship in a certain way on a Sunday? Does it mean you have to quit your jobs and become pastors? As if pastors have got it all sorted out. <laughs> none, of it's got, none of that has got anything to do with giving glory to God on your every day. God has called you to be right where you are right now. And in that space, your purpose is to give glory to God. It's not what we do on a Sunday morning. This is really important. Our music is really important to help us lift our eyes towards God. But the accumulation of praise and glory that we give to God throughout our week should come into this space. And it should be this overflow. 
So I think the question we need to ask is, how or can we bring glory to God in every part of our life? The reading that Margaret shared with us this morning gives us a glimpse into the praise that God brought to the Israelite nation through his very presence with them. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, it's set in Solomon's time, just after the temple of the Lord had been built. And David, um, Solomon's father, had longed to build this temple. Yet it was Solomon who made it happen, who built it. And what a glorious temple it was. It was a temple where the presence of God was to be, so it deserved the very best. I get the feeling that we might look at the temple and think, wow, that's immense opulence. Surely we could use resources like that in a better way in our finances for something more significant than a building. Yet it was built for the glory of God and it was built in opulence and grandeur. And in chapter 6 of 2 Chronicles, have a read of it when you go home, we hear Solomon's dedication of the temple. There was nothing about this temple that was about Solomon himself. It was all for God. And in, in Solomon's prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, he asks that God sees the righteousness of the people before God. He asks that God sees over the sins of the people. He asks that God will help make the people right. And for all of Solomon's failings, his heart at this time was that this space glorified God, gave glory to God, turned people's eyes towards God. His whole purpose in building the temple was that others would do the same. So after Solomon's prayer in chapter 6 comes this dedication of the temple by Solomon. And can you imagine the sense of awe that was around the place at this stage? Solomon had been constructing this temple for seven or so years, and the people would have seen this amazing structure going up. There would have been this anticipation that this is now the house of God. This is where God's dwelling place was. This is what it is. And it was time for them to dedicate it, I suppose. Give it back to the Lord. What was going to happen? Can you imagine the anticipation? Well, Solomon prays this great prayer. And then the sacrifice that was offered to God was consumed with fire. Now, we didn't read about the sacrifice, but just after what Margaret read in verse 5, it says this. King Solomon offered as a sacrifice 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. We're not talking a, a small offering here. <laughs> These are massive offerings. But before the Lord, they were offerings that were honoring of him. It's an expensive, extravagant offering, isn't it? But when you can see the wonder of God right in front of you, what else can you do but give all that you have? What else can you do but worship? What else can you do but sacrifice? Because you give it all for the glory of God. So that's what they did. And Solomon finished this prayer and the whole 142,000 sacrificial animals went up in a massive bonfire. That bad boy was really going at that stage. We can say, perhaps we think it's too extravagant. But when we're talking about the awe of the glory of God, is anything too extravagant? Paul's letter to the Romans talked about uh, an offering of worship to God. 
our offering of worship to God. He says, I appeal to you in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You think Solomon offered up a lot. Yeah, he did. But Paul tells us, offer up so much more. Give of your whole self. Paul didn't just say, give a little bit of what you have over here, and that'll do. He didn't just say, present your hands to God and you can use them, but whatever, you need, whatever else needs to be happening in your body, you just do that. He doesn't just say, present your mind to God. Your mind's really important, so give that to God, but you can do whatever else you want with the rest of you. He doesn't even say, just, just give me your heart, just give God your heart. If you give God your heart, then it'll all be all right. Now, Paul says, present your whole self to God. Your whole body, this is your worship. This is how you bring glory to God, by giving not just a little bit, but all of you. So there's a massive sacrifice uh, of animals burning now. And verse 1 of chapter 7 says, And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. I mean, it would have looked amazing. You've got this massive temple. You've got this bonfire going. And then the glory of the Lord fills the temple as well. How awe-filled would you be? Upon seeing the glory of the Lord, the only response that the people of God could give was in verse 3. They bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground And they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Upon seeing the glory of the Lord, they worshipped. They worshipped. When we worship, we then bring glory back to God. They saw the glory of God, they worshipped, and their worship brings glory back to God. So the question we ask is, how do we do that daily? How do we do that in all of our actions? How do we do that as an ongoing space of our life? How do we bring glory to God? Well, I want to suggest there are three things that we can do to help us bring glory to God every day. The first thing, it sounds pretty basic, but it's so true, is that we've got to keep God as our primary focus. It seems like an easy thing or a basic thing. But the reality is, from the beginning of the human race, it's the opposite of what we've done. We've all had a problem with doing this. We become become so enamored with ourselves that we become more important than God in the fabric of our own lives. Solomon's prayer in chapter 6 is a call for the people of Israel to turn from their ways and turn back to God that their eyes will be taking off self and put solely onto God. Because when our eyes are on God, we're not able to, we're only going to be able to see God's glory. And we're therefore going to be able to give glory to Him. When we come to church and we sing at church, it's not just a a warm-up for the, the main show of the Word or anything like that. But it's an opportunity for us to sing songs that take our eyes off ourselves and turn our full attention to God. The object of our worship must always be God. 
our top primary priority must be God. Francis Chan makes an observation in his book. Catering our worship to the worshippers and not the object of our worship, I fear we have created human-centered churches. We don't want to be a human-centered church. We want to be a church that keeps God as our primary focus. We want to be a church that sees the wonder of God on a daily basis. We want to remain in awe of the wonder of God. But perhaps we need to slow down. I remember going on a bushwalk with a local high school while I was youth pastor in England. And I, I was given a group to lead, and this group was full of year seven and eight boys, and they were enthusiastic. That's um, what year seven and eight boys do. And these year seven and eight boys just wanted to go along this trail at 100 miles an hour. They just went. And so my job was to try and rein them in, lasso them in, just stay with me, boys, stay with me. And we're coming up to one of the markers where one, another teacher was, and they sort of, the teacher said, slow down, boys, slow down, stop running. And I said, thank you, that was good. Uh, and she said, if you don't slow down, you're going to miss the beauty that is all around you. And she, she sort of knelt down, and there was a, a bush just there, and she said, you, by running, have just missed the... I've got a picture of a frog up there. You can't see it real well because it's camouflaged, but you, by running so fast, are going to miss this small frog, and she showed us a frog that was in the trees. You're going to miss it because you run too fast. You're going to miss it because you can't stop to see the beauty that is right in front of you. In our fast-paced life, I wonder if you are able to slow down long enough to marvel, to marvel at what God has created, to marvel at the people around you, to marvel at the interactions that happen between people all the time. I don't know if you ever uh, do the people watching thing, especially at an airport. If you're at an airport for any sort of sense of time, I love standing at the gates of the airport because the interactions of people just coming home is just the most beautiful thing. You just sit there and go, oh, that's wonderful. And then when someone comes in and there's no one to greet them, you want to go and do that to them as well. It's like, oh. <laughs> but the marvel of inter interaction of people, it's a beautiful thing of how God's creation works together. I wonder if we slow down long enough to marvel at the wonder of God. Because when we lose that marvel, when we lose our marvel, I suppose, we lose the very essence of why we were created, to bring glory to God. So keep God your primary focus. Second thing is remember that God is always with us. God is always with us. The Israelite nation had their ups and downs, didn't they? Their journey was um, up and down all the time. They'd trust in Yahweh in one minute, and then they would build different uh, altars to different gods. And they'd repent, then they turned back to God. And the, the whole Old Testament is this journey of the cycle of the Israelite nation, just uh, going on this up and down journey of repentance, turning back to God, being reminded of the glory of God, and then going off and doing something <laughs> different again. And no matter how many times they turned their back on God, God never left them. Even when it seemed like perhaps God has left them this time, God never left them. When they were in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years, when they were taken captive in Babylon, when there was silence, God had not left them. 
and as it is today, although we don't have a, a physical ark that to, to carry around like the Israelites did, through the blood of Jesus, we've become temples of the Holy Spirit ourselves. We have Christ with us, and his promise is that he will always be with us. Romans 8 says, For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is with us all the time. John 15 verse 4 says, Remain in me, I will remain in you. We can live our lives bringing glory to God with confidence because God is with us. Keep God your primary focus. Remember that God is with you. And the third and final way to bring God's glory is that we do good works. We do good works. Sounds a little bit, a little bit work-oriented, but, but stay with me for a second. If the aim of our worship is to bring glory to God, then keeping him our main priority, not forgetting that he is with us, that's a good start. But it's by doing good works that we actually start to show the glory of God to others. Now, we don't do it for the sake of getting glory back to us. But our worship must have an element of seeking others, uh, lifting their eyes up, to God. Matthew 5 verse 16 says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and the result and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This verse is saying as you go about your daily routine, as you do things in your life, it is all part of your worship. It's not segregated to say, I'll worship at a certain time, then I'll go and do this and I'll go and do that. Every part of your life can bring glory to God. As you keep Christ as your main primary focus, as you uh, do good to those who are around you, you're ultimately bringing glory to God. If we're acting in such a way daily... We could expect that there's no task that we can't do, that we can do, that cannot be done for God's glory. In all things, we can bring glory to God. Maybe it's complimenting something, someone for something they've done. It's for the glory of God, that they might see God through the words that you've said. Maybe it's going out and getting a coffee, not just for yourself, but for your workmate. Maybe it's keeping an eye on a neighbour that is sick. Maybe it's visiting someone in hospital. Maybe it's just being a positive role model on the sporting field. They're not hard things to do, are they? Maybe we don't equate them as part of our worship, though. But maybe we should. They don't take much for us to do it. But maybe as you do it, and prayerfully consider doing it in a certain way, that you actually start displaying the fruit of the Spirit and these things come naturally, and people start to see God in you. People start to see the glory of God in and through who you are and the actions that you do. Therefore, we're bringing glory to God in and through our every action. You see, worship is an ongoing action. 
It doesn't stop when we step out of church. It continues through our day and into our week. Our whole life is an action of worship in bringing glory to God. So as we close today, I want to leave you with two challenges. Two things to think about. Two things that throughout this week uh, that may you put into practice. The first one is, I want, to pray, I want you to pray each morning this week that as you get up out of bed, that you will pray that your eyes will be opened through this day to see the beauty of God around you, that you will marvel. So pray that you will marvel at the things around you. And the second thing is that you will seek to actively do good to others. Because in doing so, you're giving glory to God. Because at its core, that's worship. That's what we can't lose from the church. A group of people worshipping God in that way is only going to see God being honoured more and more. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you that you are with us, that you will never leave us, that your promises are good. And God, we pray that as we have heard from your word, that as we've thought about our worship, may our worship become an action of love and grace to others, that they may see your glory that they may know you more. Now, God, we thank you for the, the stories that we've heard this morning as well from Japan. We're encouraged that a church that is devastated or was devastated can still worship you and bring you glory. We ask your blessing over this church as we become more and more disciples who worship to bring you glory. Amen. Just before the band plays, I just wanted to, I wasn't sure whether to do this or not, but I'm going to.